You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, I'm back, and I'm glad to be back. We, last week, we were on a fall break. Family went, went away to... Anybody in here heard of Allart, Tennessee? Anybody? A couple of you. Close to Jamestown, close to Rugby, close to Big South Fork. Uh, a friend has a, a farm out there. There is no cell service, uh, and we had a great time as a family. And uh, then I missed last Sunday. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I smoked a cigar after the game with everyone else and just <laughs> got sick. And so I couldn't make it on uh, Sunday morning. Just teasing. Uh, on Saturday, we smoked a big pork butt at the house, sat outside, and it was uh, just uh, fr- family and friends incredible ball game. Last weekend just was so good. And then had the privilege of watching Doug uh, help us close out this letter um, that we've been in for a few, uh, few months now. Today we're going to close it out completely. And Doug did an absolutely great job today. I have the joy of closing it. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about closing it. All right. I like the letter. I've learned a lot through the letter. But I'm giddy. Anybody ever use the word giddy? I'm giddy over the next series. And it'll start next week. Carry us through November, and the series entitled, Everyone's Got Someone. And I want to speak on compassion and what it looks like for us as individuals, for us as families, and then in a big sense as the weeks progress, what it looks like for us as a church. And we're going to look through some of the coolest stories in Scripture uh, to see what compassion is all about. And and in a a summary, I guess I would say it like this, you know on your phone now, everybody's got this thing that we're using quite a bit, do not disturb, please do not disturb, you know, the notification deal. Uh, It's almost like I think a lot of us walk around life as if we've got one of those around our neck, uh, myself included. And the idea of compassion is um, wearing a sign that instead would say, please disturb. Uh, Compassion, this act that we're going to look at, is always inconvenient, and it's always inefficient. And we are are wired for efficiency. Uh, We are wired for convenience. And sometimes we just got to slow down. Uh, on behalf of making a difference. So I can't wait to the series. But today, let's close this letter out in style. Um, How many people in here uh, ever write thank you notes? Show of hands. Hopefully lots of hands go up. There are lots of different reasons we write thank you notes. Um, Let's go about some casual ones. Like let's say you graduate high school. You graduate college. Uh, Once you get back from wherever you went, whatever you did, it's time to write a series of thank you notes. Thank you for the money. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for blah, blah, blah. All right? Uh, or even after a wedding, get back from uh, the honeymoon. You've got lots of thank yous to write. There's a lot of new stuff in the kitchen. There's a lot of uh, new things at the house that you needed that people bought you. And so it's time to catch up. Let's write some thank yous. That's thank you notes in one sense. But what happens when it's completely different? Like when it's, it's hard to put into words. Like the, the, the act of helping out with an adoption. Some of you in this room couldn't have children uh, and you decided to adopt and you couldn't afford it. And some friends a little bit older than you, maybe a bunch of friends got together and they did something cool for you like a dinner and then they pulled out a check for 10 grand. How do you say thank you for that? That's different. Or some in this room, uh, some in the other services um, are recipients of an organ from someone else, maybe someone that passed away. How do you say thanks to that family? Or someone that's still alive and they gave the gift of an organ. How do you say thanks for that? Uh, we struggle saying thanks for things that are really, really big and life-changing over the top. In this final section of Philippians, Paul's going to try to find a way to say thanks. 
to a church that did some really big stuff and went over the top. They made a 10-year investment in his life after he started the church in Philippi. And he's going to take 10 verses to find a way to say thanks. Uh, the context of the story, if you'll remember, Philippi is right in the middle of the map. And Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke stumble into this city in 50 AD. And they decide to start telling people about Jesus. That he had recently, fresh news, been crucified. They saw him die. He'd risen from the dead and they saw him alive. And he told them to tell everybody they could about him. And so Paul takes it upon himself and these Jesus movements start in different cities. Well, after Paul has started a Jesus movement with a group of Jesus followers in the city of Philippi, Paul packs up his stuff and he heads off to more cities. Now he writes this letter in 60 AD because he's in prison in Rome. And that sheds a whole lot of light on the reason we titled this series, The Choice to Rejoice, even when it's tough, right? So he's writing this letter as a thank you because here's what happened. Over and over, Philippi, in those 10 years, they kept tracking Paul down. They'd find out where he was next, what city he was in, what prison he was in. And they would send a guy in the church, like one of, their, one of the peeps in the church would say, hey, I'll do it. And his name was Epaphroditus. They'd give the money to Epaphroditus. He'd track down Paul wherever it was, and he'd give him a gift. And I'm receiving this gift. Paul's in prison. Epaphroditus walks up, hands him a bag of coins and... No doubt, Paul probably cries. And then he smiles. And I'm going to ask you a question. If you're Paul, how do you say thank you for that? Well, it, it takes 10 verses. And there's a thread of significance inside these 10 verses of thanks. If you've been around church for a while, when we read these next 10 verses, some of these are going to stand out. If you're new to church, maybe you're kind of familiar with them. Like, Maybe you saw them on your parents' or your grandparents' refrigerator, right? Um, these verses that we often take out of context are found in this thank you note from Paul. Let me just kind of give you a few that, that you'll remember. You may recognize this. Paul says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance is. That's in this section. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's in the middle of a thank you note. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Jesus uh, some of the sweetest verses that we know bounce, bounce off the page in the middle of a 10-verse thank you note. Now, this is both an asset and a liability. It's an asset because these verses are verses that you and I cling to when we need it the most. Like when things are tough, he's our strength. Uh, we learn the issue of contentment. But it's also a liability. Because most of us, many of us, at times, grab these verses as if they're hanging out of thin air. And we take them out of context and we forget the storyline of Scripture. We forget the storyline of Philippians. That the guy that's writing it is Paul. He's in prison, chained to Roman guards. He's writing to a, a group of followers of Jesus at this church uh, uh, that are probably 10 years along the process. Some at the church are, are, are not yet followers, but he's writing all of them to, to let them know, look, I know tough times have been headed your way. And Paul says, tough times are in my way. See, the church in Philippi was struggling financially. They were struggling relationally. They, they were struggling economically. They were struggling with persecution. And Paul says, look, these are the things that I want to vocalize to you in a season where you're stuck. In a season where you don't want to be where you currently are and you have no idea when you're going to get out. And so in the midst of this thank you note, there's some valuable principles. Principles that just kind of peek their head up. Principles that I would like for us to look at on this last week of the series. And these are words that I'm praying for you. Things that I'm praying that you and I would get 
when we're stuck. When we find ourselves in a season that we can't get out of and we don't know if there's light at the end of the tunnel, in the middle of a thank you note, there are three life-giving principles. Number one, Paul talks about a degree in contentment. Now remember, it's a thank you note, but Paul wants to be clear with his friends about something. What the money did for him from Epaphroditus and what the money did not do for him. He could have, been, he could have said, now, now that I've received this gift from you guys, Man, I am so happy. I am so content. I am so good to go. But instead, Paul needs them to understand he was experiencing joy before he got the gift, while still in prison. Like, I was okay. I was experiencing contentment before Epaphroditus showed up. Verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. Okay, Paul, give us a little explanation, all right? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've been on both sides of the tracks. Paul's like, I know what it's like to have luxurious accommodations, and I also know what it's like to be in prison. I know what it's like to enjoy a a ribeye, and I also know what it's like to go three days without food. Paul says, and neither of those extremes ruin contentment. Verse 12. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. These are words that you and I need to know if you ever feel stuck. At a job, in depression, with credit hours, not sure if you're going to stick with this major or select a different one. Words that you and I need to embrace if we ever find ourselves stuck in debt. Um, According to the Bible, contentment is the overflow of a satisfied heart. Um, The problem is we want contentment, and we think we get it when we get what we want. But contentment is actually embracing joy when we still don't get what we want. Anyone in this room familiar with this? A uh, quick question is, what is this? Uh, this is usually tied to something that I want. That I think once I get this, I'll be happy. Once I get this, I'll find some satisfaction. And once I get this, I will feel whole. And I'm constantly looking forward to this, whether it's a person, whether it's a place, whether it's a purchase. Um, usually this is tied to words like once and when. Like once I graduate, once I get out of debt, once I get engaged, once I get married, once we have kids, then we will experience life, right? We'll be able to breathe a sigh of relief. We can kind of press on and move in a different direction. So words like once and words like when. Uh, Like when the home renovation is complete. When I get a raise, when I get a bonus, a different job, when a rebellious child comes home, life will be so much better. It'll be whole. I won't have anything else to worry about once and when. Then I'll experience joy and peace. Understand Paul reminds us that contentment is not tied to once and when. Contentment is tied to here and now. And it's one of those things that we have to learn. So beautiful prayer to pray 
because we all have things that are hanging out and we can't wait for this. God, as I wait for this, please give me contentment, a satisfied heart, right here, right now. Uh, There's something that's easy for all of us to miss. While we wait for this, it's easy for us to postpone joy and peace. Because we think, if this is around the corner, I'll find joy and peace then. But usually when I'm looking for things and waiting for things and can't get excited enough about things right around the corner, usually when those things come around the corner, there's something else that's hanging around the next corner. And after I find that, then there's typically another this. So the Apostle Paul is writing these words while he's in chains in the middle of a thank you. He's writing about the degree of contentment. Why does Paul want them to know about his contentment? Let me tell you why. Because in a beautiful sense, he's encouraging theirs. As he writes them and lets them know that he's in prison, he's in chains. And he knows that the church in Philippi is struggling just as well. There are difficulties in relationships. There's divorce. There's death. There's sickness. There's tragedy. There's persecution at that church. Relational struggles. Financial struggles. Paul's like, look, in the same way that I'm stuck as he's writing this, and many of you are stuck in your season, understand that that you can still find contentment here and now. The question is, why is it called a degree of contentment? A degree in contentment, as if it's a class. Well, chapter 4, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have, look here, here's why it's a degree. I've learned. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Uh, circumstances. Uh, contentment does not come easy. It is not automatic. There aren't people in this room that were born with the contentment gene and some that don't. That's why he says in verse 11, I've learned to be content. He says it again in verse 12, I've learned to be content. Like there is this thing called a degree in contentment. Here's why. You may graduate from contentment in one area of life, and a few months later, you find yourself having to re-enroll. It works like this. Some remember a time in life when you couldn't afford to do the things that your friends were done. The trips they went on, the things they bought. You couldn't do it, and so you just learned to be content, learned to stay in your lane. And over time, as you grew as a follower of Jesus, understanding that those things weren't going to satisfy you, uh, the beauty of getting older and getting a job, all of a sudden you're making money. Uh, You're making more money in a matter of a few years than, than you were several years earlier. And now all of a sudden you find yourself wanting things that you can buy. Oh, wanting to go places that you can afford. And before long, you start wanting more and wanting more. And what happens is now that you've got money, understand that you're wanting more because you start thinking about once we get this and once we get that and once then comes, right? It is possible that many of us have learned to handle shortage, but it's also possible that many of us don't know how to handle success. Because when you've got success, like, it's an enemy of contentment too. Because you deceive yourself into thinking that once I get these and this, everything will be okay. Contentment comes in all fashions. Like like you think about it, uh, some of us that are battling sickness. Like you're thinking, man, if I can just stop being sick, right? Uh, Some of you that don't have children, if I can just have kids when this happens, once this happens. If I can just get married once this happens, when this happens. Understand, like, like, like we all go through that stuff, and it's ugly stuff. 
But biblical contentment means we can go through a season that's ugly without becoming ugly. Like we can go through a season that's tough without becoming tough. We can go through a season that's extremely difficult without becoming extremely difficult. To which we can say, and I can say, well, yeah, I guess so, but I'm no Paul. And Paul's doing this. There's no way I can do this. Well, Paul would agree. He can't do it either. Listen to verse 13. Next verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Like you and I may look up to Paul, but Paul tells us I had to have outside help too. Paul is reminding us that God is with us. And he strengthens us through the transition, whether it's at work, at home, at a school, through the difficult holidays that potentially some of you in this room already worried about and they're a few weeks away. God is with us through depression, something that we just can't shake. And Paul continues to talk over and over through this section of the thank you note about a degree of contentment. The beauty of a satisfied heart, not once and when, no, it's, it's here and now. A second life-giving principle is this, the beauty of repetition. Um, Paul is going to brag on this church because, guys, they helped him for the last 10 years, not once, but over and over and over and over and over again. Um, meaning, the beauty of repetition is about good behavior on repeat. You could call it a holy redundancy. It's not a one and done. It's like, and then they did it again. Listen to verse number 15. Paul says to the church, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Meaning when Paul leaves this area of Macedonia, this is a geographical verse, uh, some of the cities in, in Macedonia were cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. He said, look, when I headed out to those areas to start telling everybody else about Jesus, nobody helped me financially except you guys did. You were the only ones to help. And then he says it this way in verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So at least two different times, the people in Philippi took a 90-mile trip. It was 90 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. So 180 miles round trip. That's not far if you're driving. It's a far way. It's a long trip if you're walking. So you got 360 miles. That's a lot of real estate they've covered over and over again. And Paul is talking about this church he said, when it comes to what I'm thankful for, just the beauty of repetition on behalf of the good things that you've done for us. Um, you know, there's, it's one thing to do a random act of kindness. Anybody done some random act of kindness lately? Um, you know, I was telling you a story when we first started. We were on fall break. And um, we, uh, me and the kiddos uh, took the dog and um, we decided to go off in this field and uh, quail hunt at my friend's farm. And uh, I've got a, a 2016 truck. I tell you that because that means it's got a key. Uh, I love my truck. I don't want anything else. Perfect truck, right? Jenny has a newer vehicle. It's got one of them push buttons, stupid push buttons, right? Um, me and the kiddos are out in this uh, field, and we come back to the truck for a break, and Jenny's hanging out at the truck. And um, beautiful, sunny day on that Friday. And uh, just awesome weather. Couldn't be better. No cell service. Just awesome, right? And we go back to the truck, 
And uh, we're going to start up and get, get moving on. And Jenny's left. She rolled all the windows down. But in order to do that, she turned the key forward and forgot to turn the key back. And so we were stuck in the middle of nowhere with no cell service on how do we find someone to help us jump off the truck. Needless to say, Tim was a little discouraged and unhappy. Uh, me and the kids, in typical fashion, found ourselves laying in the middle of the field, frustrated and angry what to do. And Jenny, being typical Jenny, did this. Um, I decided to take that picture because it annoyed the stew out of me that she did it that day. So I thought, I'm going to bring it into the sermon. Well, anyway, we found <laughs> a guy named Bob Slack who has a farm near that area. And Bob pulled out these jumper cables from 1972 and jumped off our truck. You know what that is? That's a random act of kindness. Incredible. There's nothing wrong with random acts of kindness. But there's something beautiful, Paul says, about repetition. And that's why I'm excited about that next series. The beauty of going out of our way on behalf of others again and again and again. Because your greatest and my greatest, our greatest impact in life is likely to come from serving the same people over and over, doing the same thing again and again and again. Ladies, I talked about it at Abide. To the men in this room that are deacons, I spoke about it at our last deacons meeting. Uh, just a warning for all of us. If everything has to be new and interesting, we may miss our greatest opportunity to make a difference. That's why Paul says to the church, there is beauty in repetition. My fear is many are allergic to boredom and addicted to now. This culture feeds now. Above the sign that the church at Philippi was, a, was this statement. And then they did it again. It's both extraordinary and ordinary. It's extraordinary in its impact. But it's ordinary in its consistency because it's week in and week out. That's why I love this church. People at Severe Heights... You give, you serve, you love, week in and week out. Can I tell you, it is extraordinary. And it's ordinary. It's extraordinary in the impact. Just look around at the lives that are changed. And it's ordinary because it's just consistent. Please remember, faithfulness does not have to be flashy. I wish every company knew this. I wish every family knew this. I wish every marriage knew this. I wish every church remembered this. Faithfulness does not have to be flashy. And there's a warning. If you bore easily in life, you will bail easily. And Paul is telling this church, you guys went above and beyond and you did it over and over and over again. There is beauty in repetition. Um, a side note for one second. I told you earlier, Paul was in the city of Corinth after here for 18 months. Corinth was super wealthy. Like they were a port city. There was a famine that hit Jerusalem while Paul was at Corinth. And he writes the church at Corinth a letter. He says, hey guys, we need to give to meet a need over there. And when he writes this wealthy church in Corinth about giving, guess who he uses as an example? Listen to yourself. 2 Corinthians 8.1. And now, brothers and sisters at Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Philippi, 
Verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. Check out that formula. Severe trial, overflowing joy, extreme poverty, and it led to rich generosity. The work that God did in their heart was so powerful, they gave out of their poverty, not out of their wealth. That's what Paul was telling Corinth about Philippi. And he said this, verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. It's like Paul was telling them, hey, no more. Don't don't give any more. As a matter of fact, you guys are struggling. It's time for us to take up an offering for you. Their response, we're not taking an offering from you. We're going to take up an offering for you. That's the beauty of repetition. And I have a question. How do you say thanks for that? So Paul says one more thing in this 10-verse cycle. Number three, he talks about the cycle of trust. Cycle of trust. You you understand that, that Paul wants them to know what their gift meant to him. But he really wants them to know what their gift meant to God. Um, verse 18. I have received full payment and more than enough. I am amply su- supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you guys sent. Guess what he's going to start to use right now. Ready? Sacrificial language. Meaning those that are familiar with the Old Testament, they're going to get this. And the Christians... In Philippi, with a Jewish background, they're really going to understand this. And this is tied to the gifts in a thank you letter. Verse 18, those gifts, they were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. It's easy for us in 2022 to miss what's going on in this verse. But back then, when they read these words, they got it. It's a priest goes to a temple, takes the wood, takes a fire, takes an animal sacrifice. And as he places that animal on the altar and burns the sacrifice, the Bible says with figurative language, it is an aroma that is pleasing in the nostrils of God. Paul says, hey guys, when when it comes to what you've been doing lately, the last 10 years, this degree of contentment, the beauty of repetition, it's also a cycle of trust. You might think it's just a gift here and then, but I want you to see, Paul says, that this stuff is like when the priest goes to the altar with a sacrifice and God gets the aroma of praise. And Paul's like, since I can't do much for you right here, let me tell you what what God wants to do for you. And we know this verse, verse 19. And my God will meet all of you guys' needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And he didn't promise luxury. He said, God will meet your needs. This verse that many of us know so well, that we grab and put it on our fridge, We've got to remember it's written in the 
in the middle of a story from a guy that's in chains in Rome writing a thank you letter to a church that's struggling financially and saying how thankful he is. He tells them about the cycle of trust. Since you guys are trusting God, you can trust that he's going to take care of you. It's a cycle of trust. He'll meet your needs. And now, here's uh, what I would refer to as the last verse with substance in the book of Philippians before you get to a bunch of goodbyes with other names that we're not going to go into. Ready? Here's how Paul closes. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sincerely, Paul. The choice to rejoice, even when it's hard. An obsession on the goodness and the grace of God that allows the heart to explode in gratitude and praise, even in seasons where you're stuck. Even in moments of deep pain, like Paul. Even in moments of extreme disappointment. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just put these on your radar before we dismiss. Think about the degree of contentment. Contentment is the overflow of a satisfied heart. How are you doing there? Paul said it's a learned behavior. It's a learned discipline. Too often you and I think contentment comes once and when. But Paul says no, contentment is here and now. So that's the degree of contentment. How about the beauty of repetition? We will find the greatest impact we can make isn't, isn't in random acts of kindness. No, it's giving your best. Often to the same places, the same group of people, week after week, month after month, again and again and again. Faithfulness does not have to be flashy. There is beauty in repetitive obedience. And then he says the cycle of trust. Just remember where this letter was written. In a prison. To a group of people that were stuck. And he said, look, as you trust God, you can trust that God will meet all your needs. As we close out today, we've selected a beautiful song. Some of you need to take a step of trust. Whether it's during the song or after the song, to the front right of the room, there's a next steps room. As you leave in the hallway, there's a next step wall. We'd encourage you to take a next step. Maybe it's to schedule a baptism. Maybe it's to trust Christ. Maybe it's to serve, to find a group, to find out, really, how, how do I give? And maybe it's to say, you know what, I'm ready for this welcome to Severe Heights thing. Whatever that step is, that, that's part of this cycle of trust. And so, God, I want to thank you for this letter. I thank you for the examples that played into this letter, whether it's Paul, Epaphroditus, 
a businesswoman named Lydia, a servant girl, a Roman jailer, guys like Timothy, guys like Luke. Father, I pray that we would grasp the whole of this story, not just grab certain parts, and we would understand the theme behind it all is the, the choice to rejoice, even when it's difficult. And may we choose to trust you, and I pray this today in Jesus' name.